Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, we begin our summer series entitled Extraordinary. You'll hear about God's plan for the world involving ordinary people being connected with an extraordinary Savior. Today's message is titled Call of the Disciples. Here's Associate Pastor J.C. Thompson. Well, good morning. Y'all are awake. So good. Hey, uh, I want to take a moment just as one of your pastors uh, today to kind of talk about this week. Um, I'm going to ask you to listen. Is that okay? All right. Um, A a law was overturned this week, uh, which I think is a a wonderful thing, uh, and it is uh, something that we need to acknowledge. Uh, this is a, it's a step that changes uh, a lot of how our country operates. Um, but I will also tell you this. Um, I've heard a lot this week about uh, lots of things, um, what to think and believe and what to do. I'll just tell you this. As, as a family pastor here, um, but also as a foster parent, as someone who's adopted out of the foster care system, uh, as many of the other pastors here have done, I want to just say to you, one of the things that sometimes is a little troubling to me, uh, and I hear it because we talk about it in kind of an interesting way, but one of the things that kind of gets thrown around kind of haphazardly is, all right, the church needs to do something. Um, And I'll just tell you, the church is not a building, it's not even an organization. The way that the scriptures describe the church is an organism. And sometimes we can do things as human beings of kind of deflecting responsibility sometimes and saying the church, because the church is the church and it's not me. So I just want to challenge you. If you are a follower of Christ, you are the church. And a better question for you to ask is, what can I do? Now, collectively, as a part of this church, this church is involved, and it's not just involved by individuals who are part of the foster care system and those individuals who are helping support both single moms and struggling parents and grandparents who take on the parental role of their grandkids as parents are struggling. But it's also a part of an organization in Greenville County, uh, which is a lot of churches, a lot of nonprofits that are not only seeking to provide more foster parents, but also seeking to change legislation so that the children and their parents are better taken care of. And so to give you one small example of the thing that the group that we are a part of here at Brookwood is working on is uh, several years ago, if you're a member of a family whose child is put in the system or is under investigation and you would like to provide care as an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, um, you were afforded no rights as parent uh, for that child. But now, in the state of South Carolina, because of legislation that was passed a few years ago, grandparents, aunts, uncles who take on the care of children uh, are now seen as kinship care providers, which means there are resources provided to them by the state of South Carolina. It's a wonderful thing. Does that mean that no one take, and yes, you can clap, but also, but also I'm, I'm saying this as, as a way of saying it's our responsibility as the church to ask how can we care not only for children, but the mothers and the fathers who are struggling. It could be economic, it could be a struggle that they have chosen to be a part of. Drugs, alcohol, 
in those situations. But it's our responsibility. And by our, I don't always mean the leadership or the church or the building. I mean us as the people. And so hear me saying today, I think it's, a, I think it's something to be aware of, but I'm, I'm challenging you as one of your pastors, ask yourself the question, what, what should I be doing? What can I do? to participate in the support of these folks. And also, if you're a mom who's struggling with that decision or you have made a decision in the past, I want you to know that God loves you, that we love you as your church and as your pastors, and we want you to be here and we want you to experience the love of Christ through God's people. And so this is still a place for you here. um, And we want you to know that. Now, we've got a series to start today. But I wanted to share that with you as one of your pastors. So I appreciate you giving me that moment to do that. Okay? So you don't, please don't, please don't do that. Please don't do that. That's, please don't do that. Okay? Um, let's, let's just be the church the way that we're supposed to be. Okay? Let's not applaud anybody for making a statement. Let's let our lives talk for us and not our clapping hands. Okay? Let's pray and then we'll get rolling. God, we love you. And we know even more than we love you, you love us. And I pray that people experience your love more and more. And I pray they experience it through the hearts of the church and the people here. And I pray, God, that everyone that walks in our doors feels valued and cared for and loved. And God, I pray that you'll speak to hearts today about how they can be more involved in sharing the love of Christ with those who are struggling today. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen. All right, we're starting a new series today called Extraordinary. Now, you can say extraordinary if you want. Both pronunciations are okay. But uh, we use this particular branding in a functional way. Little extra, big ordinary. Now, if you're like me, you probably did not grow up with parents who looked at you and said, son, daughter, more than anything else for you in your life, I want you to be ordinary. In fact, my goal for you as your parent is for you to be the most average person that you could be. Did anybody have parents who did share that with them? I I saw zero hands at nine. Okay, good. So we struggle with this idea that we are ordinary people. We really do. Now, older people, let me talk to you very sensitively. You get to determine if you're older because I didn't call you old, I just said older. But sometimes, and it's not just your generation, it's pretty much every older generation. You look at the younger generation and you think to yourselves, the future is not what I thought it was going to be. And one day, younger generation, we're going to be the older generation and we're probably going to do the same thing. But can I just share with you something? All parents have told their children they're special. They just have. Now, what that means is that they have value, that they're loved, that they're cared for, and that they have an identity that is unique to them. But sometimes what that means is they should be treated differently than everyone else. That there's something unique and special about them that maybe puts them a step ahead of everyone else. But that's not how the scripture teaches about us as human beings. But what's interesting is there are observations about people in the Bible that are more than ordinary. 
And so today I want to kind of tell you the end of the story before the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is what Josh and I will be teaching about this summer through this series. And so the backdrop of this story is this. Jesus came to earth. He lived for 30 years before he kind of kicked off his ministry. And when he kicked off his ministry, he invited 12 men and many others to be a part of leaving their way of life and instead living life in God's way. He led them for the next three years here on earth, and they observed him doing amazing, incredible, extraordinary things. He loved the unlovable. He dealt not only with physical issues, but also spiritual and emotional issues. And he declared people clean, not just physically by healing them, but also spiritually clean in both the sight of God and man. He did this by the authority given to him by his father, God himself, and did that rightfully as his identity as God's one and only son through the power of the Holy Spirit he accomplished many great and incredible things. Then Jesus gave himself over to be crucified, to pay the penalty for your sins and mine and for the sins of every human being after he was betrayed by one of the 12 men that he invited to join him on the journey of living the way that God would intend. Then after his death on the cross, as the men fled in fear and worry about what would then happen to them, he came back from the dead proving that everything that he said about himself and about life and about God and the Spirit was true. And after he showed himself to over 500 witnesses, he ascended, or if you're in student ministry and I'm telling this story, he floated back up to God in another miracle as he was leaving, letting everyone know that one day he would come back again. But these men and women that spent time with Jesus, they got changed forever, not just momentarily, In fact, the theme verse for today comes from Acts 4.13, and it's actually from a group of Jewish leaders who are having an interaction with Peter and John, two of the men that Jesus invited with him to learn from him, to be with him, to be changed by him. And here's what these Jewish leaders said about these two men. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That word boldness or courage here is not uh, stupid risk-taking. It's not some internal feeling that you muster up to do something difficult. No, Luke uses this word frequently throughout the Gospels to describe people who were speaking with a freedom empowered by the Holy Spirit to present the truth of God. In other words, Peter and John were speaking as if they were empowered by God, didn't care what anybody thought about them, and these Jewish leaders were amazed for for multiple things. One, that they did not have the same training that they had as Jewish leaders. They didn't get the same training. They did have training. Their training came from Jesus, but not in the same way that these men had been trained. But the second thing that they recognized and observed was that they had been with this man named Jesus. Now, they're being described in this way because of something that Peter did, and these two men had a hand in healing an individual who was begging at the front gate. Now, I don't know if you uh, can kind of picture this, but if you could just imagine driving by Woodruff Road kind of every day, and you've seen someone with a disability at Woodruff Road every single day, and you see that for years, the same person, 
and then one day they're gone. Your immediate thought is, what happened to this person? But in this case, that person was just gone. They just weren't at their normal spot. They were actually going around telling everybody that they had been healed by Jesus and they don't have to beg anymore because they've been given the ability to walk around. And so he was walking around telling everybody that Jesus healed him. Peter and John, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the authority of Jesus Christ, healed this man. And then they asked him, why would you do such a thing? And they explained the gospel to these Jewish leaders. And Peter, who was not trained in religious law, was speaking with both freedom from the Spirit and also eloquence and intelligence and logic and rhetoric, all things that would have been respected at that time. And they were amazed at what he was saying. See, these friends that had followed Jesus had truly learned something from him. But something more had happened that these untrained men were able to do things that untrained men shouldn't be able to do. In fact, what they were doing was a picture of something that Jesus told them that they would do. At the end of the book of Luke, Jesus says this in chapter 21, verse 15. He says, for I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, using these men's words, was doing what he predicted that they would do. So this is what our series is about. It's about looking at the interactions that these men had with Jesus Christ himself and how they saw something in him that was unlike anything they had ever seen before and how it changed them. It transformed them into different people. And my prayer is, and Josh and my prayer as we teach through this series is that we will begin to see Jesus in a similar way in, what, in which the disciples saw him. That we will also be encouraged to look fresh unto Jesus Christ and participate in the extraordinary things that Jesus calls his disciples to participate in. So if you would take out your outline, our first point for today is just this. God's plan for the world involves ordinary people. God's plan for the world involves ordinary people. We're in Luke chapter five, starting in verse one. It's on the screen here, but it says this. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Now, this is not Jesus first arriving onto the scene. In fact, what you see is a crowd gathering around him because they already knew he was an impressive and wise teacher. The crowd was so great that Jesus needed to find a way to put himself on a platform so that everyone could hear him, everyone could see him, and be able to hear the word of God being preached to them. So Jesus did what Jesus normally does. He just kind of invites himself in. He doesn't ask for permission to step in someone's boat that belongs to someone else. He just steps in it. And then he asks that person, hey, push me out a little bit so everybody can see me. In fact, it seems that this person's boat that he borrowed must have been a friend of Jesus. Now, I think that, the scriptures don't say that, but I think that. I'll give you two reasons why. Those of you in this room that know this Simon Peter in this story, 
would probably guess that he would not just give up his boat to a random stranger. That doesn't sound like the way of Simon Peter. This is the same guy that chopped off a guy's ear before he even heard anything he had to say or figure out what he was doing there. He just chopped by instinct, by zealousness, as he's described as a zealot, a person of passion. So it doesn't seem like Peter just gives his boat up to anybody that he's never met before. But the second thing that we'll see of why I think Jesus and Peter knew each other and knew each other well is with the title that Peter gives him that we'll see later in the story, and that's of master, which is not really what you call a stranger. I mean, I've never called a stranger that, unless their name was master, and then I probably would call them that. Josh Masters, maybe you've called them that before. Uh, Anyway, I think for those of us who are looking at this story and we're also trying to live as a disciple of Christ and share the gospel of Jesus with somebody, this is something good for us to understand. Jesus didn't just come with the word and the truth of God, although he did come with the word of God and the truth of God. He made friends with people. He built relationships with them. And he called those who he was in relationship with to something more than just a relationship, commitment. For some of us in here, we need to be a little more friendly with people. We need to make time for actually building relationships with folks. But for some of you, you need to share the truth with people. If you're sharing the gospel, at some point, you have to say the gospel. You have to teach the gospel to someone. And so maybe you're the person that needs to be more friendly. Maybe you're the person that needs to share the story of Jesus a little more. There's something here for you. But let me just tell you something. For me, my struggle is being friendly. That's my struggle. In fact, if you are to see me walking around anywhere, uh, you can say, JC, what is wrong with you? What are you feeling right now? Why do you look so glum and deep in thought? Well, normally it's because I'm deep in thought. Uh, My my face does not lie. Uh, I'm not a liar with my face. And so if I feel something, you'll see it on my face. But I will just tell you, I have struggled with this over my entire life. Uh, I don't want to be fake. So I want to put a fake smile on when things are not okay. But the flip side is, it's interesting to be a pastor who doesn't smile a lot. And so as I'm talking to my mentor about this, and I'm going, I'm just not sure why everybody thinks I'm, I'm angry and frustrated all the time. Like, can you help me with that? And he was like, well, how much do you smile? And I was like, well, when I'm happy. And he was like, well, are you happy all the time? Are you happy a lot of the time, a little of the time? And I was like, a little of the time. I got, you know, stuff to do and people to talk to and things to think about. And he was like, well, maybe just, maybe just smile more. And my face, as someone who was just told the truth from God that I need to smile more, I was like, I, I, I don't know. Because we've also, also met those people who smile a little bit too much. And we think there's something going on there that's not right. And I don't want to be that person, but I'll just tell you, it's amazing when you smile more. You're happier, <laughs> even if nothing changes. And so for me, it's amazing how much more open people are to talking with you when you smile more. And so, yes, my mentor was right, as he normally is, about telling me, hey, why don't you just smile a little more? And it has. It's made a difference in sharing Christ with people. So after Jesus borrowed this boat without asking and he taught God's word, he asked something more from Peter than just a temporary use of his boat. Now, this and many of the other instances in Scripture that we're going to look at during this series, you're going to see a concept that you've probably heard a lot. But I want you to think about this every time you see this instance, because you're going to see it a lot in this series. It's this word, this phrase. It's called discipleship. 
Now, oftentimes in our context, we think about discipleship as like a Bible study or the times that we come into here and we learn something new. But I'm just going to make the argument that discipleship is really a decision that you make. Discipleship is a decision that you make. And you're presented with opportunities, an opportunity to live the truth that God teaches you or the opportunity to live the way that you want. And you have a choice to make. I think discipleship is that situation, that choice that you make. Now, we're all being discipled all the time. When you make a choice to invite a discipler into your home, either through a friend you've met in the neighborhood, a person from the church, a personality on television, an influencer on social media, or the Holy Spirit, you're making a choice of who you will be discipled by. And it's the decision that you make. Now, I'll just tell you, Jesus sets these definitions of discipleship up all the time, all the time with his disciples. He just gives them a decision to make. And he kind of points it out to them. Like he kind of just doesn't let it sit sometimes. Sometimes he's like, like, what are you gonna do? And so Jesus gives ordinary men and women like me and you, he gives us the pathway to grow and he wants us to more fully experience life with God. Discipleship in a faith context is choosing to believe the truth of God rather than the way that we want to live. And this is the training that Jesus gave his disciples. This is the discipleship that he offered to them. Now, the actual decision being made, opportunity to make a decision is a discipleship moment. The actual decision that's made is called faith. What we decide is where we place our faith. So when you see these opportunities, just know they're always an opportunity, an environment of discipleship, and they're always an opportunity to see where do these people place their faith. Is it in God or is it in themselves? So, The story continues in verse four. When he had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, if you're not careful in your reading plan, when you go through the scriptures, you'll miss how intriguing and challenging this statement is from Jesus. It's intriguing because of these two people who are having the conversation, Peter, Simon Peter, and Jesus, which one of them is the fisherman? Simon Peter is. Remember, he's the one cleaning his nets. He's the one that owns the boat. He's the one who makes a living by being a fisherman. He's not a sports fisherman. He doesn't catch a fish and then hold it up so somebody takes a picture of him and posts it on social media, which is fine if you're a sports fisherman. He throws that fish back, right? That's what sportsmen do. But if you're providing for your family, those fish have to stay with you because you have to sell them in order to make money to provide for your family. So I would generally make the assumption that a professional fisherman, one that needs to catch fish in order to live and provide for his family, is probably a little bit more desperate to catch fish than a sport fisherman. Would you agree with that? So for me, I'm thinking about Peter receiving advice from a non-professional fisherman who's an excellent teacher, 
excellent preacher of God's word that many people want to gather around, but he's not a fisherman. He's a craftsman. That's what he was trained to do, to make things with his hand. So it's intriguing because the craftsman is telling the fisherman how to fish. I think it's also intriguing because Peter's done. Like he's done fishing and he's caught nothing. So professional fisherman who needs to catch fish in order to provide for his family has been fishing all day and caught nothing. What would you be feeling at this particular point in time if you're Peter? Frustrated? What else? Defeated, that's a good word. Tired, exhausted, those are all good words. I think Peter feels all those things. Let me put it in our context so maybe we can understand because I don't think there's any professional fishermen in here. If so, you're living in Greenville. You should probably move. Let me help you with your fishing tactics, okay? Um, But just in case, okay, imagine for a second, man, I want you to think about this for a second, okay? Your task with providing for your family. Now, that doesn't just mean financially, but it does mean financially. And so you've spent all day at work and you have nothing to show for it. And you got to come home. Your wife knows that you've been out doing your job in order to provide for the family. But then when you come home, there's like nothing to show for it. What are you feeling? Some of you experienced this very thing in life. You've lost a job because the economy, they downsize. You had a big project that fell through that you were expecting things for, and now you've got nothing to show for it. Embarrassed. At least disappointed. Because maybe Peter thinks, well, tomorrow's another day, right? Maybe. But I would think embarrassed is probably what he's feeling. And Jesus, even though Peter's embarrassed, or at least disappointed, tells him, why don't you try again? See, this is what I both love about Jesus and it also makes me feel really uncomfortable. Jesus gets in your stuff. He also gets in your stuff that you don't know very well, but then he generally has a good strategy of getting in the stuff that you think you know so well. It's what he does. Why does he do that? Well, we're going to see in a little bit, but I want you to understand that this guy just got done preaching off a boat and he tells the professional fisherman as a craftsman to try again. A man who's embarrassed, possibly tired, at least disappointed. And Peter here in this environment of discipleship has a choice. Do I trust my instincts and what I know to be true? Or do I trust this man, Jesus, who seems like he knows something different. That's discipleship. See, Jesus does this with us too. You know, summer vacation, it's always one of those fun times, right? You got a plan and then Jesus kind of like ekes his way into it. And he's like, hey, I know you're on vacation, but like church is on Sunday. So are you gonna stay at the lake or are you gonna come back for church? Well, Jesus, you know, I've been to church and I got... A lot of online stuff and Jesus just does this, right? Like he just gets in the stuff. Or maybe you've had something extremely successful happen at work. Quarter just ends, you're gonna get a bonus. Big project just landed, you landed a big contract, right? And then that check comes. Your check for your effort, right? And then Jesus just comes up a little beside you and he's like, hey, what you gonna do with that bonus you weren't expecting? That one that you didn't ask or imagine was going to happen. What are you gonna do? 
And you're like, Jesus, this is, Jesus, this is my check. And Jesus just like, it's not actually. It's my check and I gave it to you. What are you gonna do? And he never does it condemning. He never condemns you. But he provides a lot of environment for discipleship. A lot. See, Jesus regularly operates this way with his followers. He gets in your stuff and he gives you an opportunity to learn. He constantly is asking questions. He's doing things that make you feel uncomfortable and he asks you to jump in with him. But what's interesting is Peter responds with this word master. Now that word master, it's not a spiritual term at all. In fact, it's like Peter saying, whatever you say, boss. I mean, that literally is what he's saying. If you say so, if you say so, Jesus, I'll try again. I love this because we're about to see a shift in Peter in this story. See, we see Peter's tension here of being a professional fisherman versus being a disciple of Jesus. His own professional training in contrast with the training of Jesus. And I just want to ask you a question. Would you respond the same way that Peter did? Facing disappointment, embarrassment, in an area that you know how things work, And Jesus says, try again. Do you have an if you say so, Jesus attitude or a no way, Jesus attitude? Not only does God's plan involve ordinary people, but it also involves an extraordinary Savior. An extraordinary Savior. So check out what happens next in verse 6. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now I want you to see again the, the thing that Jesus asked from Peter. See, I think if you were to ask Peter before Jesus tells him to do something different, I think if you were to ask him, hey Peter, is there any fish out there today? I think he would say, nope. Or if you were to say, hey, Peter, are the fish biting today? He'd say, nope, not today. See, Jesus didn't just confront him with some kind of wise, pithy saying. He took what Peter knew to be true to him. And he said to Peter, that's not true. Let me show you what's true. Put your nets out again. And from embarrassment, disappointment, fatigue, exhaustion, his if you say so attitude turned into a miraculous moment with Christ. See, Jesus does this with us. We have these things that we know to be true. And Jesus says, that's not true. And he takes what we know to be true and he flips it upside down. And he says, let me show you what is truly true. See, Isaiah describes this in this way. He says, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
And when Jesus presents people with these discipleship opportunities, it's always in some area where we would say, that's not possible. Now, here's a question as I'm studying this week. Go with me here. Remember, I teach kids and students regularly, so here's what I'm thinking through. Where were the fish before all this? Were they not in there? Did he like materialize them out of nowhere? Were they just chuckling to themselves as a school of fish as they throw their nets down and they go, oh no, God's got a plan for us today, but it's not right now. Were they hiding? Maybe it's even something crazier than that. Maybe the enemy has decided Jesus is about to teach and he knows maybe there's some people he wants to invite in this journey with him. And maybe Peter's one of those folks. In fact, maybe all the fishermen that day are some of those folks. And so maybe the enemy talks to those fish and go, hey, you don't want to get caught today. Today is not your day. You want to live your best life, fish? Don't get in those nets. Don't do it. I don't know. But can I tell you something? When you read through the scriptures, especially when you see Jesus doing something, I hope you open your mind up to more questions than the easy ones. Because what we see multiple times throughout Jesus' ministry is there's metaphysical things happening through him and his ministry that cannot just be explained by mere observation. Peter that day, who's a professional fisherman and has loads of experience with both that lake and fish, probably would share with us what happened that day was a miracle. But the Bible doesn't tell us why or where the fish were or any of those things. It just says they weren't getting caught and then all of a sudden all of them got caught. They joined in like a neighborhood block party and they were like, you know what? Everybody's doing it. Just jump in the nets. Let's do it. Everybody. And that's what they did. What went from a whatever you say, boss, moment turned into a, oh my gosh, what in the world, sports center highlight type moment that you will tell everyone you know about forever. In fact, I think that Jesus showed Peter in a way that could not be denied that Jesus had some kind of influence or at least some kind of insider knowledge or maybe some supernatural ability, but at least Peter understood in that moment, Jesus was not just ordinary. He was something more. In fact, I think Peter's face probably was like this in a moment. What in the world is happening? Now, I don't know about you, but I want moments like that in my life. I want these moments where God does something that cannot be explained in any other way than him. And I love telling everybody about those moments. It's fun. It's so much fun to say God did something amazing and wonderful. Now, a few years ago, Praveen, who's our ministry partner in India, he came here to kind of tell us about the work that was going on and share with people. And he had a question and answer time. And many of the people there asked about Praveen's evangelism strategy which is a great question to ask because Praveen not only has shared the gospel with thousands of people, baptized thousands of people, seen thousands of people come to Christ, but he's also going into people who are enemies of God, not just by title, but by action, who own children as slaves in rock quarries. He goes to them, shares the gospel with them. Those men change their lives, give all of the children back, and then they stop doing all those evil things. So I think that's a great question to ask that guy What's your evangelism strategy? Now, as Americans, we want a tool. 
We want a book. We want a method. But here's what Praveen said. He said, I build a relationship with them. And then I discover an area about their life that they cannot solve on their own. And then I tell them, I'm going to pray about that. And then God fixes that area of their life that they can't fix on their own. And the only person that they've talked to about that is me. And then I go share the gospel with them. That's his strategy. It's been extremely effective. So I want to share this with you. Here's a challenge that I see in our culture. I think we're too busy to get to the place where we are building relationships with other people. In fact, sometimes the only way we know what's going on in somebody's life is because we see it on social media. And it should be no surprise to us that there have been people who've been carrying burdens and struggles for months, maybe even years that we knew nothing about because we haven't created the space to get to know them and to hear what's going on in their life. And yet at the same time, many of us in this room can point out a story in our life where someone came with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they built a relationship with us and they asked what's going on in our life and then it was only something that God could fix and then God did something about it. Almost all of us in this room can share a story like that. And so my challenge for all of us How are you making time for people's stories? How are you making time to hear from them? How are you making time to listen? And listen, it takes a lot of time to listen to people. But if we want to experience extraordinary things, we need to find ways to make extraordinary room for people. So we need to get involved in people's lives in this way. You know, it's sad that I think there are some people in this room today who think they're too busy to experience these things from God. They're too busy. The story continues in this way in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, what did he see? He saw no fish and then all the fish. And then he called a buddy to help him with his other boat. And then that boat had too many fish. And then they started to sink. A guy that would have said, there's no fish today, no fish catching today. We blanked. I'm gonna go home embarrassed to my family. Now has experienced the greatest fish catch of his entire life and everyone's entire life that he would have known. So that's what he saw. And when he saw that, he said to Jesus, go away from me because I'm a sinful man Lord, for he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Jesus said this, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. Now, after this amazing miracle, Peter uses a different term to identify Jesus. He called him Lord. Lord is a spiritual term. 
It's not just a term of authority, although it is a term of authority. It's not just your boss. Now, when you were to use the term Lord in this Greek culture, you would have been saying, the person I am talking to is a divine being. He recognized Jesus as God. Jesus, being recognized by Peter as divine, by his mere presence and ability and his extraordinariness, shows Peter he's not worthy. See, Jesus is more than just a man, he's God and man. Now, I think it's interesting that Peter describes himself as a sinful man. If you've read the story, did Peter sin in this story? It seems like everything that Jesus has asked from him, Peter has given to him willingly. Doesn't sense like there's any sarcasm in Peter's voice. It just feels like Peter has only obeyed Jesus. So why would he say that he's a sinful man? Why would he ask Jesus who's just done something miraculous to benefit Peter to get away from him. See, I think Peter experienced what many other people in the Bible experienced. Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all had these moments where they came face to face with the holiness, the otherness of God. They had a pure understanding of humanity in comparison with divinity. And it terrified them. Have you ever experienced this utter unworthiness in your life? When you come face to face with God, some truth about him, some understanding about him, a special experience with him, and you just think, Jesus, get away from me. Older folks in here, listen to me. I know you've experienced God in amazing ways. sometimes crazy ways. How much have you shared that with other people? You know, we look at our younger generation and we think to ourselves, what's going on? Where's the love for God and his word and his law? Where, where are these things? And yet, if we're keeping stories to ourselves of God's activity in our life, that may be some evidence that we've taken a wrong path of sharing faith with the next generation. Younger people, it's also up to you to ask. I'm gonna give you the things to ask. That way you don't have to Google them. Here's two ways you can ask an older person about their life with God. Here's the first thing. You can write this down. I'm sure that older people will even be okay if you read it right off the paper to them. Tell me a story of something God has done in your life. Older people, I want you to be thinking about that. When, I, when I'm saying that, what's the story that comes to your mind? Tell me a story of something that God has done in your life. And then here's the second question. What is God teaching you right now? What is God teaching you right now? See, when the scriptures talk about the church, one of the things that's supposed to be a regular occurrence in the church is us sharing testimonies, singing psalms and spiritual songs, and sharing the word of God with one another. But if you're holding on to your stories, 
You're doing the church as a whole, all of the individuals of the church, all of the people of the body of Christ, you're doing us a disservice. Because the scriptures, when they say, when you do those things, when you share the word of God, when you share testimonies of what God's doing in your life, when you sing psalms and spiritual songs to one another, encouraging, exhorting one another to live life in the way that God asks you to live, do you know what happens? It says, it strengthens our faith. Man, I just imagine a church when you walk in people just sharing these amazing things that's happened at work, their neighborhood, their hobby that they participate in, their children's schools. And they're just sharing, man, you'll never believe what God did this week. I don't know if you've ever heard a story and it's like the Grinch, you know what I'm talking about? Have y'all ever seen this? The Grinch, how the Grinch stole Christmas. And he has this moment where he recognizes a special and unique type of love. And his heart goes, boom, boom. It grows to how much its size? Does anybody remember from the book? Three times its size. Listen, listen, listen to me. Hear me, okay, hear me. We need you to share your stories. I want my faith to grow. Now, just be clear, okay? I want to be clear with you. Even faith as small as a mustard seed has the power to move mountains according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So we're not going to feel shame if we got small faith, but it's up to all of us to grow everybody else's faith. And the way we do that is the word of God, singing songs, even if you're bad, like me, and sharing the stories of what God's doing in your life. We need to do that regularly. If you're a small group leader in here, you need to just figure out a way to put that on your little outline. What's God doing in everybody's life this week? Okay. Now, when Peter has this renewed understanding of who Jesus is, What does Jesus do? I'm gonna tell you some things he does not do first. He does not look at Peter and say, oh, 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 Peter, 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 I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. He said, oh, Peter, 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 you're not that sinful. Your sins aren't that bad. I mean, I know a lot of sins, like, but like yours is not that bad, Peter. He doesn't say that. He also doesn't say, Peter, you're right. I'm gonna leave you here by yourself. He doesn't do any of those things. In fact, while Peter is asking Jesus to move further away, Jesus gets closer. See, what Peter was just shown about Jesus and about life, and about the way the world works, and about fish, and this lake. Jesus just revealed truth to him. See, Jesus was not embarrassed by Peter's lack of understanding. He was not okay with leaving Peter there by himself. He did not put Peter in a remedial Bible study He did not even say to him, it's cool, you'll just fish again tomorrow. He looked at Peter and he started with what it feels like God always starts with when he invites us into an environment of discipleship. 
by saying to us, don't be afraid. Now, some scholars debate whether that don't be afraid is like a summary of what's going on or it's like a prelude to what Jesus is about to ask. I don't really know. I think it'd be any of those things. I had somebody after the nine o'clock say, maybe it was just a recognition of divinity and that's it and there's nothing else. Like it's just a statement of fact. I think that's a possibility too. But I'll just tell you, Jesus starts with what God normally starts with when he does something amazing. Don't be afraid. And instead of Jesus backing further away, not only does he get closer in relationship, but he also asks more responsibility of Peter. He didn't ask Peter to do less because he's ordinary. He asked him to do more because he recognized, Peter recognized here, he's ordinary, but Jesus is not. And that recognition is the character that should identify disciples of Jesus. Humility, understanding, security in knowing that Christ is calling me into relationship. See, I think what made Peter fit to follow Christ is recognition of who Christ really is and nothing about Peter. I want you to notice this too. Jesus used the thing that Peter knew the most about to show him he didn't know much of anything. And Jesus does that with us. Now in here, you may be some sort of doctor, a business owner, an engineer, a manager, a salesperson, a lawyer. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you just consider yourself just a mom or just a dad. But Jesus gets right into the thing that you are the expert in and he says, you're not really an expert. And he uses those things to teach us how life with God works. If you're a lawyer, engineer, manager, whatever career, industry, responsibility, role you have, ask yourself the question, What does it look like to be a follower of Christ in this role? What does that look like? Now, I'm going to share a story with you because, again, we just shared shared stories, grows our faith. Recently, before Easter, there was a man who went to his uh, doctor, and he told the doctor that he wanted to end his life. That doctor said to him, you need to go to Brookwood. Right now, you need to go. So that man left his doctor's office after confessing this and he drove to Brookwood. It was a Thursday, which by the way, if you're here, you can come to Brookwood more than on Sunday. We will be here. We'll see you. Okay. But he showed up and he said, "I, I need to talk to somebody. My doctor sent me here. He said, I can get help. I was there that day. I got to talk with him, shared Christ with him. That man accepted Christ as his only hope at facing another day. Since that moment, he's been at church every single week. In fact, he asked a bunch of pastors to come to his house and bless it, which is not a regular occurrence for us pastors, in case you're wondering. Not everybody asks us to come in and bless their house. He's been participating in groups. He's been giving to the church and his life has been turned upside down. Does that mean everything's good? No, 
It doesn't. It just means that somewhere there was a doctor who in the midst of being a professional at healthcare said, there's a place you can go get some help if you can't get help here. I don't know who that doctor is. Every time I see this man, and I've seen him lots of times, I think of asking, but then I get enraptured into what's going on in his life. One day I'll find out who that doctor is. And if you're that doctor and you're in here, thank you. Thank you for doing that. But here's a question. Are you willing to follow Christ in this way where it gets in the middle of your industry? It makes things more difficult or challenging, but Jesus says, let me tell you what's true. Now, I want you to answer this question by raising your hand. How many of you in this room want to experience something extraordinary that can only be explained by God himself? Raise your hand. That's good. Now put your hands down. I don't want you to answer this one publicly. How many of you are terrified at what that might be? You don't have to answer publicly. We're going to be praying, Josh and I, and we like to pray. We're going to be praying that God does extraordinary things during this series. Things that you don't expect, things that we don't expect much like two boats almost sinking that were designed for fishing. I just think God wants to do those things. So we're gonna pray about that. And we're gonna ask God, do what only you can do. Show us extraordinary in our lives, okay? And if that's you, if you're someone in here today, today in this room, and you've had a moment where this week God has been placing himself right next to you in your circumstances. And maybe you got invited here. Maybe you got dragged here. Maybe you saw it riding down the interstate. Maybe you've watched us online. Maybe you're online today. And Jesus is just inching ever closer to you and you know it. I'm gonna challenge you today if that's you. Respond in the way that Peter did. Say, Christ, I'm gonna follow you anywhere. And I'll leave whatever it takes to get me closer to you. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you need to share your story with somebody today. At lunch, at the pool, outside, right here at the stage, these doors, because our faith needs strengthening all the time. Share your story. And if you're here just exploring, maybe you're just in that moment where Jesus is saying something to you. And you're in the environment of deciding, what am I going to do? Come back. Just keep hearing who Jesus is. We're so glad you're here. Just keep coming. Let's pray. Care volunteers, y'all can come down front. God, we're so thankful for you. We are thankful that you are extraordinary. God, I'm amazed sometimes at the things that happen around me that you would ever involve someone like me in what you're doing. And I know that our church is filled with people like that. I pray that you grow our faith through this series. God, if there's someone in here today, in this room, or watching online today that needs to give their life to you, I pray they, I pray God that they'd surrender to following you and that you would birth them anew. And I pray that this week would be a week of sharing amazing, incredible God stories with one another. We thank you for what you're doing.
Step into all our stuff, Jesus. Step into every little piece of it. And invite us into being changed. It's the name of Christ we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Our memory verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated, untrained, they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. Here's our spiritual practice this week. One of the ways that you can grow closer to God is by cultivating a lifestyle of gratitude. Throughout the week, reflect on specific ways God has blessed you. Consider material, spiritual, and relational blessings like people in your life. Praise God for who He is and how He's loved you. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.